0: So Hannah, what is your opinion on modern art in general? Big fan. My biggest connection to modern art is my memory of being five years old and my friend's father, who is a modern artist, trying to explain to me that modern art is art. Five year old me was not convinced. I said, that's a square. And I think that's kind of what I was thinking every time I saw a piece of amazing, wonderful, mind-blowing art in this movie. All I was was I was like, "Mm, that's a bunch of blotches on the painting. Well, good news. That's exactly what Scott Eastwood was thinking, too. I sympathized with Scott Eastwood a lot during this movie. Because you're also super ripped and girls think you're really hot. That's it. Thought so.
1: Isn't it strange how your life can be going in one direction? So this is it, huh? Yeah, this is it. Look out! Then you meet that one person.
0: Hey! Keep it.
1: And everything changes. I met a girl. You meet girls all the time.
0: No, not like this. This one's different.
1: I've never felt this way about anybody. I wish I could tell you it'll all be happily ever after. And everybody gets that. You did wasn't that simple.
0: makes me feel like I can't live without you. I can't do this anymore. I want you to stay.
1: Love requires sacrifice. But it's worth
0: it. Always. I want you to stay. Hi, I'm Rose. I'm Hannah. And this is More Is More, the Bad Movie Podcast. Where today, we're talking about the longest ride. A Nicholas Sparks movie starring Scott Eastwood, Britt Robertson, and Alan Alda. Alan Alda was unexpected for me. Yeah, he'll 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 surprise you with what he's in. Also, this had the the descendants of a lot of Hollywood elites, right? So so Scott Eastwood, obviously Clint Eastwood's son, right? Una Chaplin, granddaughter of Charlie Chaplin, and Jack Houston grandson of John Houston. Yeah. It's just kind of weird for them to all be in this movie together. Right. And and yet none of them are really famous in their own right, including Scott Eastwood when this movie was made, right, 2015. And he's still only like so-so. Yeah, he's a minor. Mhm. Like you just need a good-looking guy to stick in your movie. Why don't you give Scott Eastwood a call? Yeah, you can't need him to be too interesting, but because <laughs> he's not. No. But, I mean, and everybody was great in this movie. I see why this got pretty good reviews for a Nicholas Sparks movie. Um, Because if this is what you want to see, it's a good example of that. I mean, yeah... Kind of. I, there's a lot of, yes, if you're just a big romance fan. Right. And they don't make a lot of romances anymore, so you right. have a very limited option. So you want predictable, tear-jerking romance. That makes this no is, sense. But, and yet you can predict everything. Yes. Yes. That, then this is that. It only makes sense because this is how a romance movie works. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and don't worry y'all, it is set in North Carolina. Yes. He's a real Stephen King about his locations. Everything is set in North Carolina. (laughs) Also, if we sound a little different, it's because we switched microphones. Mm Mm-hmm. We did not replace our voice boxes. My healthcare wouldn't cover that surgery. I know. I've tried. So, we start with Luke Collins, Scott Eastwood, being announced at a bull riding competition. And he is about to ride a bull that has 74 consecutive buck-offs. So, I don't know the last guy that was able to ride this bull. It's probably been a long time, if ever. And this was something I liked about the movie. They actually did a really good job with the bull riding scenes uh, when they would do slow motion. Mm -hmm. Those were good. It's hard to make eight seconds seem, like, super dramatic and impactful unless you kind of slow it down so that we can all actually see what's happening. Exactly. And I think it without slowing it down it's also hard to see how dangerous it is um and how crazy the bull goes but big news he gets bucked off and injured real bad one year later we're at a sorority and everyone is dressing western to go to a bull riding competition they somehow convince school-obsessed nerd sophia to go with them Yeah, and it's funny because at first I was like, oh, I guess this girl in the cowboy hat, that's the main girl in the movie. And then she goes in and talks to her friend who isn't interested in the rodeo or bull riding or anything like that. I'm like, oh, no, it's her. It's her. But I have to study. (laughs) Why? You already have an intern. You already have a job waiting for you in New York. It's an internship. And I still have to study. How weird that the nerd is also conventionally super hot. Yeah. And in a sorority. Yeah. She is convinced to go with them to see, quote, the hottest guys you've ever seen. I really doubt that. Yeah. I first I thought she was specifically talking about Luke Collins. Yeah, but no. But she was not. Just everybody there. All uh, bull riders. And to be fair, all the bull riders we see are attractive. Yeah, they are. <laughs> it's weird. Almost like they were cast for being attractive. That doesn't sound right. Almost. I said almost. Okay. So Luke Collins is making his return at this competition after a year of recovery. And he's sort of freaking out. Don't worry. Her friend actually doesn't know anything about this guy or his history. Yeah, which is weird. Um, We just get the announcers telling everyone that he's trying to make a comeback. I know. I was like, this seems like a missed opportunity. Like, why isn't your friend a fan of this guy and telling you all about him? Yeah, it seemed like they didn't know that much about the sport, actually. But her friend apparently loves bull riding. Yeah, that is weird. She did correct her. She was like, oh, it's a rodeo. And she's like, it's bull riding. There's a difference. Yeah. So I'm like, this girl seems like she cares. (laughs) Yeah. But she doesn't know this guy who the announcer at one point in the movie describes as easy on the eyes. I know, right? Like, this is the grizzled male announcer, and he's still describing this guy's easy on the eyes. Get a room, dude. In which to think about the sexual harassment you're doing. This guy's at work. Come on. <laughs> also, Scott Eastwood, he is attractive, but he also, I feel like he has looked like he's 35 since he was 20. He is Clint Eastwood's son. Right. And he stays on his bull for eight seconds. And then the bull goes after him on the ground once he dismounts because <laughs> they can't get him back in the chute fast enough. So he runs up on the fence in front of the, right in front of the girls. He drops his hat and has a moment of looking at Sophia. When he gets off the fence to walk away, she tries to give it back to him, and he's like, keep it. And then she puts it on, and I'm like, ooh, I bet it's so sweaty. I know. I was like, oh, it's probably real gross. Yeah. Also, not for the first time, but... I, all I could think about was that it looks weird on her because it's clearly a man's hat. They did actually make it realistic and that it's way too big for her head. Yeah, it is. They did not switch it out for a lady's hat. <laughs> Later that night, Sophia and her friends are at a Western bar and dance hall. Which is playing music that's clearly country music for people who hate country music. I know, right? It's just that's, a rock cover of a country song. And I know. they're all two-stepping to it. Yeah, it's not really... It's not... At least it's not the kind of music that they played at at the stuff uh, i mean it's fine A&M. i was like it's an interesting cover of a country song mm-hmm. but if i was going to a country and western bar to enjoy country music i would be angry yeah that that's didn't. what was being played yeah they didn't want to alienate their uh no, like, look audience. at how hip and cool these people are because they're not listening to country music don't worry these are not the bumpkins you think <laughs> they are I think you mean pumpkins. Oh, reference to later in the movie. (laughs) I feel like this is the part that she would have gone home for. Yeah. If you're not into country and Western stuff, and you don't really care about dancing, and all you want to be doing is studying, going out to dance halls is not exactly when you're like, well, okay, I guess I'll stay. Maybe her hat is rubbing off on her. (laughs) That's probably it. She isn't dancing, but she is still wearing that hat. Luke is also there. And the other writers are saying how good it is to have him back, but he has a long way to go to be back at the top and a ways to go to getting sponsorships like this other guy. Is this just the place that everyone goes to after bull riding? It's just a well known fact. Apparently, everybody's, and you have to go. You don't like go somewhere. Else. I don't know. It was weird. He goes out for air and sees Sophia there, and he's like, I have a hat just like that. That was his hat. Oh, That's yeah. the hat he's talking about. Yeah. She tries to give it back, but he says to keep it, it looks better on her. And then he adjusts it for her, and it still looks weird because it's <laughs> still a man's hat. He's going to get her a drink, but her sorority sister comes out and is insanely drunk, and Sophia takes her home. And Luke says... I'll call you they never exchange numbers so I don't know how he he does manage to call her phone I was like well maybe he'll call the sorority house but but he's surprised she says she introduces this girl as her sorority sister but later on he's actually surprised to find that she lives in a sorority right like did you just not think she was at college anymore or like what what was the thought process here because she said my sorority sister also I think it's okay I mean, I know this is a romance, so they have to immediately be interested in each other, but I don't understand why he's so persistent about wanting a date with this girl that he's literally just given his hat to, and that's the only interaction they've had. Oh, you must not have noticed that they're both hot. There's a lot of hot people around there. But Rose, they're (laughs) so hot. But the hat, they exchanged the hat, so now they're soulmates and they have to be together. She's really hot. (laughs) At the sorority house, Luke has called her a few times, but she waits to call him back. Until Again, the hat, I know. so persistent for a girl you briefly met at a bar and you had your introductory drink interrupted. I know, exactly. Um, she waits to call him back until the hat reminds her too much of him and she has to. Because she's moving to New York in two months and doesn't need any distractions. Yeah, why'd you give him your number? Because he was hot. Rose, <laughs> I feel like you didn't watch this movie at all. <laughs> Anyway, she calls him, and it is hilarious because he is loading chopped wood into his pickup truck because he's such a cowboy. They really played up this, like, cowboy situation. Yeah, they did. Um, Although, it doesn't seem to be a working ranch. He doesn't seem to actually ever do anything on the ranch that seems like... Even though he acts like it is, and later they act like it is. Yeah. Yeah, he asks her out on a date, and she can't believe how different he is from modern guys. Modern guys just text you and they're like, hey, what's up? And it's night already. Uh, That was really obnoxious. And he's like, call me old-fashioned. And I guess because he called it a date, like, can I take you out on a date? Go to dinner, yeah. Yeah, that was really weird. I was like, I get what you're talking about, but also it just sounds like Nicholas Sparks is just trying to be too hip and with it. Yeah, seriously. Because it doesn't never happen. No, right? He also walks across the campus for this date in a cowboy hat and boots and flowers. And uh, it was very embarrassing for me to watch. I did not enjoy it. Even though they made it seem like all of the sorority girls were super into it and as soon as he leaves the sorority house with her they're like I want a cowboy and I'm like I don't think that's what they would be I think they would also be laughing a lot when I saw that he had flowers I mean the cowboy boots and the cowboy hat I'm like whatever you're a bull rider the flowers I was like oh this seems like a lot for a first date with a girl that you don't I know. Know it all. And like, I get it. Oh, I'm old fashioned. Oh, I'm such a gentleman. I'm a cowboy. Whatever. They really played that up to an annoying degree. Because let me tell you, later in the movie, we see he's not that old fashioned. <laughs> right. And then the weird thing is, she takes the flowers with her on the date. <laughs> Who does that? It was also a weird looking flower arrangement, I thought. I know. It was pretty clearly like, just what you get at Kroger or something. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm so sick of this. Here's the thing. I am so sick of guys who are like, I'm old-fashioned. I'm like a cowboy. But if it's really how you were raised, you're probably not going to have a ton of successful dates with sorority girls from New Jersey well you might if they just find you quaint and charming more often i encounter it and it's kind of like forced upon you (laughs) and it's it's like a forced choice that people have made about their personalities which you do run into a lot in your late teens early 20s people kind of reinvent themselves and they make these hard decision hard and fast decisions of like this is how i am and this is my identity and then you change it later on usually but yeah it's irritating for me, it was a little obnoxious that they played so hard into the cowboy thing only because she is like super into art and wants to live in New York. And I'm like, mm, you two people, you're not together. It's like oh, I Nicholas know. Sparks took a hat full of interesting sounding <laughs> jobs and just pulled two out and said, Great, these are them. Like Rose. they don't go together. Again, I feel like you didn't watch the movie because it's that very tension that makes their love so legendary. <laughs> It's that very tension that made me not understand why they were putting so much effort into trying to make this work. Gosh. Well, fair enough. Me too. Because um, they they had basically nothing in common. We never saw them oh no, have anything sure. in common other than they both There's seemed like what, nice the, people. I guess love for life. They their hotness and youngness. That's I think mostly what they had in common. Yeah, I think so. The amount of effort you put into this date for a girl that you barely know is weird. <laughs> <laughs> That is so funny. Okay, note to all the guys out there: do not put any effort that Rose can detect into a date. It's like why, like because it's like a picnic by the by the lake. Rose, and- she's so hot, and like that with the flowers and everything else. I'm like. Look, it just kind of feels like you're, like, creepily trying too hard for a first date. Okay, you know what? You do make a good point that if this... I I get it in the movie, blah, blah, blah. It works in the movie. Because it's the only date we ever see with them in the movie. So it has to be the most amazing special date of all time. Right. But in real life, if somebody had put that much effort into it and, like, doesn't know me, the only thing that I would be thinking is, oh, they do this for everyone. And that that would be the truth. They don't, like, pull out all the stops on one girl that they don't know... For the first date. Just because like, oh, they're different and I can tell. That's not what happens. If somebody does this for you and they don't really know you that well, it is not the first time they've done it. Or if it is, it won't be the last time. They're doing this for all the girls after you. Yeah. It's just what they do. And I'm not saying that it's like a ploy, but don't don't be thinking it's like, oh, it's just so special and it's just for me. Yeah, it's so special and magical. He yeah. met you for two seconds at a country western bar. You're not <laughs> special. <laughs> right. So he he does take her to a picnic by a lake with drinking out of mason jars light from a lantern oh it's so great she explains how a girl from New Jersey ended up in North Carolina home of Nicholas Sparks <laughs> Anyone who knows anything about colleges knows that people go all over the place for college. It yeah. has, I mean, it's where they got into. It's where they get a scholarship to, which is how she got here. Well, how elitist of you, Rose? Because he didn't go to college, so he doesn't know all about college. No, I meant anyone. Not even if you've been to college, just anyone in general. Maybe he's never heard of college before. <laughs> Maybe that's why he's so surprised about the sorority. Yeah. <laughs> what would be weirder is if it was someone who was like from North Carolina who wound up at a college in Australia. Like that would be more where you were like, wait a second, how did this go? Well, that's true. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Like the South African guy at a and I knew. Right. So his life is a lot simpler. She loves art. She glows when she talks about it. Oh, she's loved it forever. It's so amazing. His aspirations? He wants to be the best bull rider He says he did get hurt, but he won't talk about how bad. Yeah. Also, that's a very short-lived aspiration. I know, right? There's no way there's bull riders that are 30. Well, and he says that. He says all bull riders get hurt. It's just about how bad and when. And he says he's probably got a few more years left of this. Can I just take a minute to say that I don't understand how bull riding is something you can make a living at? Yeah, I I don't. I think you have to get endorsements. But even then, I'm Sponsorships. like... Sponsorships. Yeah, so maybe, like, three people can make a living being a bull rider. And, of course, the, even then, it's very short-lived and probably not that much money. I mean, it's that way for a lot of sports, though. Yeah, but I'm just like, I feel like you should also be working at the ranch. Like, I feel like you should also be running your ranch as well, a business, uh-huh. but then also you do bull riding. I think that is what he's doing, though. Well, it is not made clear. <laughs> he seems like he's... A bull, like a full-time bull rider. I mean, I think he's as full-time as you can be, but he still does work on the ranch. Because he also, it seems also like it's only him and his mom on the ranch. There's nobody else that helps out. It does seem like that. (laughs) And that's not how, you can't run a ranch that way. Yeah, well, I think that's also true in this movie. He says he's got a family ranch and his mom is on her own and it's tough. And he's trying to keep the ranch going. Uh, He's doing a terrible job at it because we never see him doing anything. Hey, he was loading that wood into the (laughs) truck. That all-important wood that you need for North Carolina summer. She likes North Carolina, but she tells him she's moving to New York soon. And that's why she didn't call him back sooner. Thunder sounds and they drive home in the rain. And, of course, he sees a break in the railing of the bridge and sees a car. He goes down with his flashlight looks around and finds a car that crashed into a pine and is on fire. Alan Alda is injured in the front seat and he keeps saying, Box! Box! (laughs) So Sophia goes and looks in the car and saves a wicker box that's inside. They take him to the hospital and Sophia stays to see how he is. Luke leaves and says, good luck in New York. So I guess they're never going to see each other again. Sophia opens the box while she's waiting and starts rifling through this man's extremely personal letters and reading them. I cool. Know. This was unacceptable. I, I mean, no. I think that what it was is she wasn't even ashamed of it. Like, I know. <laughs> I understand this temptation of, like, well, there's a bunch of letters and, like, I'm just gonna read one to see what it was. But, like, she doesn't even look around guiltily to see if anyone's looking at her. And, like, she doesn't even try and hide it from the guy. No, if anything, she's bummed. She didn't realize it before while well, she was sitting there. So so she could have read more of them. <laughs> yeah, they are all letters to a woman named Ruth. April tenth,
1: nineteen forty. My dearest Ruth, today, today started, started out like, out like any anything. other day, but when you walked into my father's store, so beautiful, so vibrant, I knew my life would forever be changed.
0: And we start getting flashbacks. So we're seeing young Ira and young Ruth. They walk into his clothing store? Yeah, they're like tailors, maybe. Yeah, probably that's what it is. And they're Jewish and they want you to know it immediately. You're the one the rabbi told us about. <laughs> okay. So he keeps trying to think of ways to see her. He sees her at synagogue and he has a single rose in his hand on the street. He's going to go give it to her at a diner, but then he sees her with another man and he gets discouraged and throws his single rose in the trash. I have a question about this scene. How is it that he knows she's at the diner so that he can have a rose ready to give to her, but doesn't know she's there with somebody else? I honestly feel like he just followed her, which is weird. Oh, goodness. Maybe it wasn't weird in 1940. Whatever it Which was. we just knew that he was a young man in love. Yeah. With a really bad haircut, so he couldn't get up to anything. Well, it was the 1940s. Yeah. It was hard to have good hair then. That's an untrue. If you were a man, Yeah. I think it- I, I, I should say, I think it was very easy to have hair that does not look good by our taste now. Okay, because I'm like most movie stars from the 1940s, I think, had perfectly good hair. Well, he wasn't a movie star. He was a normal guy. Clearly. <laughs> also, let's not make it seem like this is a documentary that was shot in 1940. They gave him that hairstyle. It was. They just colorized it. <laughs> That's why this was such a groundbreaking film project. <laughs> they worked it into a, a story. Sophia goes to see ira because he is awake and surprise he's a crotchety old man how did you get that box i don't want to get better also it is actually a little bit surprising that he's a crotchety old man because he's alan alda no that's what makes it easy to believe <laughs> it's it's the flashbacks where we see him as a nice gentleman oh man. i know yeah and then you're like why is he so crotchety now the ravages of time <laughs> we're not all young and hot anymore <laughs> He was never young and hot. Well, so that's even worse. <laughs> and now he never will be. Sophia asks if that's what Ruth would have wanted for him to never get better. And at this point, I would be like, how dare you have read my letters, young lady? He kind, kind of... Immediately. He- Well, without the leave immediately part, he kind of is like that. But then she's like, what do you care? You're not, you don't want to get better. You don't even want to be here anymore. And he's like, no, good point. (laughs) Which I feel like wouldn't have flown with an angry old person who just got in a car wreck. But it does with him. He says he hasn't been able to read the letters for years, even with his glasses. And Sophia asks if he wants her to read them for him. But says that first he has to eat something, which is what he's been refusing to do for the nurse. So she starts reading. 1940. This time, at synagogue, Ruth approaches him. She asks why he never talks to her even though he looks for her. And she saw him throw that rose away. Which, man, eagle eye Ruth. I know, right? Because she was in a lit area and he was in an unlit street. Yeah, that is surprising. From pretty far away. She wasn't in the window seat here. She can see every man who is <laughs> attracted to her. She talks about how Vienna is beautiful, it's more cultured than Paris, um, or at least it was before the war. It was hard to leave, but they got out early, and everybody thought her father was overreacting, but now it's 1940, and we can see that they haven't overreacted. As they're walking along, and they're gonna part ways, this is where we get a very cute misunderstanding that I kind of thought would come up again, but it never did. Uh, where she says country pumpkin instead of country bumpkin because she's foreign and doesn't know this phrase. And when she said that, I was like, oh my gosh, that would be an amazing phrase. Right? I like it. Not like those refined city pumpkins. (laughs) So he almost walks away without asking her out, but then he finds the courage. She's such a forward young lady. You know, European. (laughs) Right. She asks if he wants another letter. But he says, no, but I do want you to come back. Back at the bull riding, someone else is riding the bull that bucked him off. Net's now at 85 consecutive buck-offs. And the cowboy who's trying gets bucked off before he even leaves the chute. They just, like, pull him off mm-hmm. in a stall. Luke falls off of his own bull right out of the gate because it rattled him so much. Back in his truck, he's getting a leave out of a bottle. Or it looks like a leave. He drops them all on the floor, only to find a handwritten note on the floor of his truck. He drives home and gets to his mom's house. She asks him when he's going to stop bull riding, because she's worried about him getting hurt. And, of course, he's already been super hurt, so it's not surprising that she doesn't like it. She asks him what's going on and isn't satisfied when he says nothing. So he says, okay, I met a girl, and she's different, and I like her, but she's moving to New York in two months, so... That's, that's that. And we all believe it. Back at the hospital, (laughs) Sophia comes back to visit Ira, who is recovering. In another letter, it's 1941, Ruth is helping him discover life and adventure. She's a real 1940s Jewish manic pixie dream girl. (laughs) Yes, she is. And I don't love it. (laughs) She em- I liked her accent. I liked her accent. So I just liked the fact that she talked a lot because I yeah. could hear her accent. did like that. And I liked her. I mean, I liked, her. I liked, I mean, the actress. Like, she I know. was really good. Yeah, the actress was charming. I was like, I would watch yeah. you in something. Well, and Jack Houston was was good also. I mean, yeah. again, people were really good in their roles. It's just that it's not a good movie because guess what? It's based on Nicholas <laughs> Sparks. It's yeah. never going to be a good movie. Yeah. She enthusiastically shows him some art that is very ugly. She's a lot of adjectives for this very ugly painting. <laughs> it's from the Black Mountain College. Black Mountain College is where it was painted. Yeah. And I wonder if Ira's going to secretly turn out to have a bunch of art in the present day that our art lover will love. That doesn't sound wouldn't right. that be crazy? Oh, too crazy, surely. See, that thought never would have occurred to me because he's a tailor and we find out later she's a teacher. See, it is so funny because I predicted every single thing that happens in this movie. Yeah, and for me, I was like, well, they're poor. Duh, nope. (laughs) Nope. I don't know where their money came from. That doesn't come up in the movie, but they had money from somewhere. Yeah, well, his father owned that business, and then he inherited it, so. Well, yeah, but what were they selling across the country? No, but maybe they, I mean, clearly they were in the upper class. You know, their houses were really nice. I think they, they were tailoring the wealthy Jewish community. He says at some point, I thought he said, I'm not a wealthy man. Yeah, but I think that was before. Okay, look, I just think they need to explain where this wealth came from. Oh my gosh. Rose needs a detailed account of all their back taxes. Well, I do because some of the paintings they could have gotten maybe before these people were famous, but they say uh, somebody specifically mentions a Picasso. Oh yeah, that's right. And Picasso was already famous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't know. I just need Got that tailor <laughs> well they dance and it's magical and they make out in public which i think would have been pretty shocking at the time especially if they're in a jewish community right yeah i think so so on their weekend trips and adventures she says this is the first time north carolina has felt like home now she knows how nicholas sparks wants everyone to feel (laughs) that way now you know how he feels and they have a whimsical time running around the beach and having fun It's funny, and I guess maybe this is partially because it's told from his point of view is maybe how we can explain this. But, like, it's really easy to see why he falls in love with her, but it's a lot harder to see why she falls in love with him. Absolutely it is. This happens a lot in romances where you see one person is super awesome and great, and you see they they spend all of their time trying to make you understand why this person is so lovable. They never, ever stop and make you understand why this super lovable person Happens to, like, this seemingly ordinary person. Yeah, exactly. This at least is being specifically told from his point of view. So maybe that's why. Well, and and honestly, like, this this is part of what makes her a Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Because Manic Pixie Dream Girls are attracted to average guys who don't seem to have anything going for them. Yeah. And they change their lives. And that's kind of, like, their purpose. Yeah. So back at the beach, Ira says he has something to ask her. And she says, wait, I want a really big family, really, really big. So now I know that she's either barren or gets cancer or both. And that prediction was almost right. I did immediately know that whatever happened, they weren't going to have any children. Right. Also, big assumption, lady, on what he was going to, like, my, what I really wanted to happen next was the guy being like, oh, Uh, do you want to get married? I was going to ask if you wanted to come over for dinner on Sunday, but, you know, that's fine. We can get married. I was going to ask it eventually. Right. Well, she was right. And he says, well, that's okay. Big family is fine. And he's like, okay. She's like, okay, now you can ask. So they're engaged. Back at the hospital, Ira is tired out, and Sophia tucks him in and says she'll come back tomorrow. And I'm starting to wonder why he wrote these letters to Ruth when she was clearly there for every single part. I figured that out, actually. I'll tell you when the the point of the movie I figured it out at happens. Okay. But I was wondering that. Especially when it's like, the first day I met you today, and I'm like, what? But I'm sorry, are you telling me there's actually a reason other than stupid Sparks? Yeah, I Nicholas Sparks? Okay, well, I don't believe I'm you I'm not that saying it's a good reason, well, I'll listen. but I do think I figured it out. I'll listen, but I don't believe you. <laughs> okay. And as Sophia drives home, she switches the station from pop to country. The next day, Luke comes back to the hospital to visit Ira for the first time. And he introduces himself in the most difficult way possible. I hey, Just no. say, hey, I'm the guy that pulled you out of your car. I know he's he instead like names the road and he's like you don't remember bubble and everybody's so he shocked says his name first and that's it I know and everybody is so surprised because Sophia does the same thing she's like you don't remember I'm like what he, he was clearly concussed <laughs> yeah. what's wrong with you he's a huge bandage on his forehead <laughs> yeah he was bleeding whatever and he's already super old I know and this was a very stressful event seriously it's not that weird guys Sophia walks up at exactly the same time and sparks fly. Luke came back. Yeah, to I know. Alan Alda's like, your friend, Luke. Okay. Wink. <laughs> <laughs> like Mr. Matchmaker. Seriously. Uh, Luke came back to give Ira this photo of Ruth and Ira that he found. That's what was on the floor. Flashback to the time of the photo being taken. Ira's being shipped off to war and promises that he will come back. War scenes, war is terrible, did you forget? But also he's brave. Also he's brave, someone's calling for help outside the foxhole, and Ira insists on rescuing him, even though the coward he's with is like, no, it's too dangerous. That would've been me. Oh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Profitly. I'm like, hey, better one person die than two, stay here. <laughs> Rose would've been the cowardly friend. Yes, I would have. But you know what? I would've come back from that war. Yeah, and, uh... Spoiler alert, you wouldn't have been barren when you got back. (laughs) Exactly. Ira successfully rescues this guy, but he gets shot doing it. And in the hospital, the doctor is telling him, I'm very sorry. And I'm like, oh, he's barren. What a twist. I know. So back in the U.S., he stands outside Ruth's family home and looks in at their happy, lit family dinner, and he can't go inside. What I love is that people at night will always, like, Have all of their lights on in the house and then just, like, leave the curtains open. Yeah. You're going to be happy. You want people (laughs) to see it. He says he wasn't the same person. He's fighting a bigger battle and he can't honor the promise that he made to Ruth. Ruth finds him. But also he's not going to tell her about it. Oh, no, for sure. Figure it out, lady. (laughs) Well, she does. She figures out he's home, comes to find him, and is like, hey, I want to help. She still wants to marry him, but he doesn't want her to give up having a family for him.
1: When I came back from the war, I wasn't the same. I was fighting a bigger battle now. And I couldn't honor the promise I had made to you. The war was over. And as far as I was concerned, so was my life.
0: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Ruth storms into his store and says, you can't decide what I'm willing to give up. She still wants to get married unless he doesn't love her anymore. He super does. Sexy. I couldn't believe this happened. Right? It was weird. Yeah, it just felt really strange. I'm like, I get it. They're in love. Like for starters, we don't need to see any of this. But I know. also, I thought these were good Jewish kids. Not that good. Good and bad, maybe. Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, from, like, the 40s. Like, I get that you're, like, gonna get married and all that, but I'm like, this felt really unnecessary. I know. (laughs) Well, she can't get pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So, yeah, honestly, there were so many sex scenes in this movie. There were. It was too much. And we kind of saw, like, more than I wanted to see of stuff so much of luke and sophia making out well oh my gosh people honestly, were constantly like making so out. much Maybe. making out yeah people were constantly kissing each other i know even the sex scenes honestly were like mostly just make like making out is what we well, saw they were but they were like naked and we were seeing like full side nudity and i was like i really feel like i don't need to see that i didn't need to know how much of a tan line scott eastwood has <laughs> at his pants line. that was horrific his butt is so pale <laughs> Like, dude, you knew you were going to be in a movie. <laughs> I guess it's for realism. But if this was realism, you would have a big old farmer's tan yeah. where your short-sleeved shirts go. Yeah. As Sophia and Luke leave the hospital, she says it was really nice of him to bring the photo. And he starts to leave. She says, well, "It it's really good to see you. And then he's like, hmm, maybe we will do this. And asks what she's doing right now. And then they're at a pool hall. It was like 3 p.m., I feel like, two seconds ago. Now they're in a pool hall that is hopping. <laughs> they talk, and he says he's not different where he comes from because everyone he knows is part of the writing community. And he likes her because she's nothing like those people. Well, I guess because she's different. Not that he hates those people. That made it sound bad. Yeah, but I was like, oh, yeah, that's also why your relationship is not gonna work. It's fine, Honestly, Like, it's fun at first, and then you're like, oh, wait, we don't share any values. yeah you make what at Christmas? No, I don't want that. Yeah, seriously. Seriously, you think that stuff doesn't matter, but it really does. Yeah, if it's your entire life is that situation over and over and over again, it adds up. Well, and that's like the small stuff that becomes a thing every single year when you're like, but I want to do it this way, and the other person is like, well, we always did this, and that's what I want to do. Yeah. One person has to be willing to give. Yeah. She's like, I have an idea, and then they go into a photo booth and take fun photos and have their first kiss. I'm like, that's not really an idea she (laughs) said it like i have a fun idea that nobody you'll you'll never guess i thought she was gonna go take him to ride on a mechanical bull which also would have been lame but not as lame as the photo booth yeah i guess when people say i have an idea i'm expecting more than like let's do this thing that's right here already it's it's clearly an activity set up for people to do right here like you didn't have an idea you just saw something right the introduction for that is come on Exactly. And you're Seriously. just going to drag someone off. Just say that. Hey, let's do this. Mm-hmm. And then this is the beginning of their relationship. There's a sappy song montage of him teaching her how to ride at his ranch. She somehow falls into a pond, and I mean she walks <laughs> into it. She doesn't walk off of anything. She walks through some reeds doesn't look where she's going, and, like, walks into a pond. I know. I was like, the camera angle you showed that at does make it seem like you can't see the pond until you're in it. But I'm like, surely by the time she, maybe she's moving too fast. I guess I'm, I'm just wondering how a city girl who's not used to fields feels so confident walking through places she can't see. Maybe because because she is a city girl and she doesn't know about things like ticks. And snakes. Yeah. There's a pond right there. Oh, girl, you got snakes in that field. So then she has to get into her much skimpier clothes in his apartment, but don't worry, she quickly takes them all off. Sex scene! The next day, he takes her to his bull riding training rig, which is a barrel strung up by four ropes. He teaches her the rules. You only touch with your right hand. You lose points if you're off balance. You choose which bulls you ride from drawing what, like a chip with a number on it out of a bunch of chips. And there's the montage of her going to all of his matches I feel like he wouldn't have needed that rig for a long time. I guess it's just still set up. Well, especially because it seems like you have to have somebody operating it for you. Yeah, and his just, mother is the only other person at the ranch. And his mother doesn't want him to be a bull rider anymore. Maybe he just, like, ties some ropes to some horses. And, like, hopes they <laughs> just pull it around. I still feel like that wouldn't really mimic... Well, I'm not, I'm really not suggesting that it's a good way to. I mean, train. at some point you must switch to some sort of mechanical ball. Oh, yeah, no, I think this is like how you teach kids yeah, to do this. But it's just still up. It's just still up there. Sophia goes to visit Ira in this very nice nursing home in a truly horrible sleeveless striped shirt that <laughs> looks like she just punched up a prison shirt. <laughs> she gets a call when she's there about an art exhibit that her. The lady that she's going to be doing the internship for in New York has a client who's having an art show in Charlotte, and can she go to it? And she's very excited. And Ira says, I didn't know you liked art. How? How did she not mention when he's already talked about Ruth liking art? How did, How was she not like, oh, I'm actually an art major, and I'm doing my thesis right now, and blah, 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 and I love art? Yeah. How? Yeah. So he asks if she's heard of Black Mountain College. She's doing her senior thesis on it. And again, I feel like I guess all she did was read those letters and then leave. <laughs> yeah, also, how much more detail are we seeing in the flashbacks than he's saying in the letters? Because she, Ruth says in the earlier scene where she pulls him in to look at the painting that it's Black Mountain College. Yeah, exactly. And I feel how like How would she, it not have come up then? I know. I feel like she would have said, Oh, wow, that's crazy, because. Anyway. It's where he was headed when he crashed his car. Which, dude, are you serious? It was very late at night, I know. and there's nobody there anymore. So, okay, you weirdo. It couldn't wait. Yeah. Black Mountain College is an art school. We have a flashback of Ira surprising Ruth with a painting that she loved. They go visit it, she loves it so much. Yes, yeah, their honeymoon. They yeah. go there, and there's people. Dancing on the street outside of it. Yeah. Like, which just seemed like the worst. I know. Modern She's thrilled, dancing. but Seriously. I was like, this is the, there's not a place for you to do this aside from the side of the highway. I know. Like, Isadora Duncan style dancing. <laughs> yeah. So they start building a life together. Ruth starts teaching. Ira takes over his father's business and everything is great. Now back to the present day. Sophia is meeting Luke's mom and Luke's mom still wants him to stop writing. I guess we just needed to see that tension. So that, I guess it's Sophia's intro to the idea that he should stop writing. Yeah. And that he got hurt worse than he said, maybe. On her laptop later, Sophia shows Luke some paintings by the guy whose show she's going to go help with. And Luke is going to go with her and make some comments about how people are crazy to pay $80,000 for these paintings. Accurate. (laughs) Because they're modern art.
1: 80 grand, really?
0: A lot of people think he's a genius.
1: Yeah, he most certainly is. Getting people to fork over, he
0: grand for that. That was my favorite line in the movie. Oh, it was good. is talking to buyers and explaining what makes the pieces special at the art show. Luke is alone, walking around, and has a shockingly nice suit on. How does he even own that? It's very up-to-date. Maybe it's his funeral suit. I guess. He must have been to some recently. Because it fits well, and is very, like, that year. Maybe some bull riders have died. Well, maybe so. Sophia gets asked if she can go to New York for a show. It's very important. Don't say you can go if you can't. I know you have finals. Don't commit to this unless you'll definitely be there. So she's surely going to be there, and nothing <laughs> will get in the way. I didn't like this woman's dress. I didn't think it was flattering to her at all. I didn't like her. I I didn't care for her either, but, like, mostly just looking at her dress, I'm like, (laughs) you could control one thing about this woman, and that's her dress. Like, this is what you chose to put her in? It's very unflattering. You could also control the bangs, but (laughs) that's funny. I didn't even notice the dress. Yeah. Luke embarrasses Sophia by saying he thinks that there's more BS in this gallery than where he works, and he works around bulls. (laughs) Yeah. Sophia's boss laughs about it and likes him. But Sophia is mad and yells at him afterwards. What did you expect? Right? You've known from the beginning that he doesn't like modern art. Also, you you can't just assume that he has the same way with people that you would want him to. It's not that surprising that he would be like, oh, honestly, sure, I'll say this. He probably thinks that a lot of people there think the same thing. Certainly the people on the business side of it. right. So, and also modern art people have to know about this response. Like, this can't be the first time this woman has heard this kind of thing, you know? Right, exactly. Which actually makes it less realistic to me. I thought the least realistic thing was that she would have laughed about it and liked it. Like, she might not have minded, but I think it's ridiculous that, uh, you know, do you know how many modern art jokes she's probably heard You just, it's the kind of thing you just get sick of. So, uh, during their fight, now for the first time, they suddenly have questions about how they would have a life together. Guess what? I can tell you how. You have to be very rich to make it work. You can have different values if you're rich enough that it doesn't matter. I mean eventually they're not going to be young and hot anymore and then what is their relationship built on? Well they obviously like each other. I mean it's possible that that people that are really different can have relationships but usually I think they're they're rich enough that they can buy their way out and around a lot of things. Yes. Also, theoretically, they wouldn't want to be located in two different states. Because that's the big thing that they were talking about. He's like, what do you think? I'm going to move to New York and go to art stuff with you? and Or, like, you, you want to live on a ranch forever? That's not going to work. And that's why I was like, you know, this, yeah. this kind of thing you have to be rich for. And I have to say, neither one of them was seemed... I mean, I know they've only been dating for, like, a month. But I'm like, there's obvious compromises to be made here. You guys could move to Nashville. Like there's places where you could both have a job, maybe not the job you specifically wanted, but places where you would both fit in and be able to pursue your interests. Yeah, exactly. You just, you know, it's a compromise for everybody. So even if they moved to Raleigh or, like, someplace outside of that where he could yeah. have a ranch and she—or whatever he wanted to do. And, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Well, I think they would both have to give up the epicenter of the businesses that they want to be in. And so they would have to both scale back their ambitions. Or, well, yeah, I mean— And, and, and this whole movie is thing. kind of about the compromises people have to make when they're in relationships. Yeah. I mean, if I had to say there was a theme, which would be generous— it would be that. <laughs> yeah, because it's not the lesson at the end, trust me. It is not. <laughs> Sophie is talking to Ira about it and asks if they're crazy for trying to have a relationship. Yes. Yeah, right? And Ira starts talking about how he had troubles too. He could see how much Ruth wanted a family and they tried to adopt, but it wasn't so easy back then, he That says. was it. That's all we get of that. It yeah. was hard, so we stopped. I'm like... It couldn't have been impossible for two well-off people to adopt a child. What about war-torn Europe? There weren't war orphans you could adopt? Right. First of all, there absolutely were. And there weren't even records for those kids. So it was very easy. And I feel like it was easier back then Yeah, to if you adopt w- kids. There was less paperwork. There was less... Court precedent for like having to give the kids back when they're three because the other family decided they want them back. Like, I I feel like it was easier back then. I have no idea. I'm just No, I know, but this this seemed really unrealistic, especially considering they would have happily taken war orphans. Exactly. And really it's just an excuse for why they didn't do that. Yeah. They Nicholas Sparks just didn't want them to have any kids and didn't want them to have an option that they didn't pursue. This is going to sound crazy, but it was a lazy writing mechanism for Nicholas <laughs> Sparks. No. Well, what I'm actually kind of surprised by is that he didn't like, because they seem to be Jewish for no reason, which isn't a problem, but it's a weird choice when you have an opportunity to show like them trying to adopt a kid and there's like sitting across from some person sitting under like a ginormous cross being like, no. You can't. I mean Yeah. It, it just feels like there's things that they could have done that like were like, oh well because they're Jewish, no one no one let them adopt anyone. Yeah, it's weird that they did never bring it up because I was like that really would be, you know, they would be confined in what they were able to try and what they were able to do. They would be discriminated against in certain areas for that. I mean, and they never even brought it up. I know. It's like that seems like the reason maybe adoption was hard and they didn't yeah. Ever explain it that way. I, this would have been one reason I believed, even if it yeah. wasn't true in real life. Exactly. We see Ruth's school while she's teaching, and one of her students is a real hayseed, <laughs> and he's falling asleep in class. And he's, like, visibly dirty. Right, exactly. It's part of being a hayseed, Ruth. <laughs> she goes to see his guardians, and it is a half-brother and his wife who are raising this kid, and they don't really care about him. So she gets permission to tutor him after class. They're like, yeah, sure, whatever. I don't care. He eats dinner with them and maybe has never seen a fork before. <laughs> so she teaches him how to use silverware and it's a real Beauty and the Beast transformation. Yes. He's a proper young gentleman and uh, is really becoming cultured. What different and times he can like name the North Star and stuff. Right, exactly. What different times when no one would have sued them over this I know. crazy breach of... Student-teacher relationships. Yeah, exactly. She really wants to adopt this kid. And it's very frustrating because they know that the other the other people don't care about him in the way that she thinks they should. Oh, well, arguably at all. <laughs> they don't seem to, like, feed him or anything. Yeah, either. they don't seem to do any of that. But they do probably still love him and they're like, and they probably feel like it's an indictment of them. That's the reason they give, is the reason they won't give them up is because they're
1: they don't insulted. want it to look
0: bad. Ah, oh, okay, I didn't hear that. Anyway, it's obviously going to end well for all parties involved. They take the kid back home um, after staying with them. And his guardians watch as Ruth tells him he can be anything he wants to be. And they're starting to get resentful of her constant attempts to adopt him. And, (laughs) you know, she's honestly just going a little nuts with this. Yeah, she is. Also, I'm like, it seems a little bit cruel to tell him that he can be anything he wants to be when she's not even going to be in his life anymore. Like, I know. It's that thing of, I understand you want to encourage children... Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if his life from this point on is going to be raised in the sticks by people that don't care about him and won't help him further his education or anything, it can be almost a little bit of a burden to be told, well, you can be anything you want to be. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's true. But what they don't say is it's going to be so hard. Yeah. You are going to have to work so hard, so much harder than anybody that's around you. Right. And the other kids that you're going to college with, you are going to have to work like three times harder. Yeah. You have the potential to do it, but you're going to have to put yourself through college. You're going to have to exactly. make all these sacrifices. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, it's the easy answer if you can be anything you want to be. And I'm just like, sometimes I see that in some situations where I'm like, I don't think you should tell that child that. It's a weird thing to tell especially, anybody. Especially because the career she lists, like she's like farmer, you know, because that's kind of what her brother is. Yeah. But then she's like, you know, astronomer. Astronomer. And I'm like, she's a lot of call for those, right? And I'm like, why don't you aim your sights a little lower for him? Yeah. And be like, you can be anything you want to be. You can be a farmer. You can be a teacher. You can be a salesman. You can live yeah. in a city or whatever. But like, don't say things like astronomer. Like yeah. where it's like you can list normal jobs. <laughs> I know. Anyway, she's mad at Ira for letting Daniel. think that's a kid's name letting Daniel go, and she blames him for not fighting hard enough to adopt. And Ira is very correctly like, what did you want me to do? I know. I was hoping she was going to say, like, kidnap him in the dead of night. We he could take off like, and live in Vienna. I mean, that seems like the she would have done that if she had thought of it. <laughs> and she's like, we were a family. And he's like, uh, we are a family. And she's like, I don't He keeps eating dinner. And he's like, hey, I want kids too, you know. Yeah. And they never saw Daniel again. It would be so weird if he was some kind of artist that they found later. Well, also, did they take Daniel out of the school? I guess so. I don't know. So his education stopped at, like, fourth grade? Well, maybe she... Well, actually, maybe she wasn't his teacher anymore because he had moved up and... You would still see him at the school. Eh, maybe they went to a different school or maybe she lost her job over this. (laughs) That I would believe, her losing her job over it. Yeah, Back at a bull riding event, I start to realize how little I care about Luke's bull riding. I don't care about it at all. Mostly because I'm like, this isn't a real career option. No, it was just, and I never was like, oh, this is great. But this was the point where I was like, wow, I am so sick of these scenes. I don't yeah. care anymore. You're flipping back and forth between so many different things that it really puts the highlight on the stuff that you don't care about. And. I- Honestly, I cared very little about anything that happened in this movie, but I cared about Ruth and Ira more than I cared about the main couple. I'm pretty sure everybody did. (laughs) So he stays on for eight seconds, but gets thrown against the fence and injured. They can't get the bull back in the chute, and as he stands up to be proclaimed number nine in the world, he collapses. Sophia gets a call from Luke's phone, someone else on Luke's phone, saying that he's been hurt right as she's leaving for New York. So she rushes to the hospital. He's stable, but getting an MRI and she can't see him because he's not, she's not family. But then I guess she just goes back there anyway. Nobody has a problem with it. This has to be later on because he's clearly getting ready to leave the hospital. I guess so. It was just weird to me why they had that at all. I I was like, well, why are you doing it at all? If it doesn't even matter. Anyway, he seems okay. But the doctor says he needs to stop writing bulls and that he's, he was seriously injured and he needs to stop downplaying how serious it was. It's funny they keep saying that, but no one ever says, because if you keep bull riding, this will happen. Right? Maybe the doctor didn't want to say it in front of this other person because of confidentiality stuff. But even his mother doesn't say anything like that. No, we're never yeah. told. We just keep getting told, if you keep bull riding, you're going to hurt yourself, which we already know. But no one's ever saying... If you keep bull riding, you're going to wind up in a coma or your brain is in a very sensitive place right now. It's not going to take another fall. Well, and I feel so based on other people that I have known that have had multiple concussions, I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Like if you get really badly hurt. Um, and you're in a coma, and you uh, co- yeah concussion stuff like that. The doctors tell you like you can't have another concussion. That's it. Just, it just will felt be really so bad for you. Yeah, you will get brain damage, and that's what I've heard. And, and that's yeah, the medical threat just felt really vague. Yeah, exactly. It's like, give me specifics. He will die. That would be a good one for me, right? So Sophia calls her boss and says she can't come to New York, and her boss is understanding. But Sophia is rethinking the internship. Later, she looks up footage of the ride that injured Luke so badly when the movie first started, and I guess only now is she realizing how serious it is and how dangerous bull riding is? That's weird to me. I know. They leave the hospital, and Sophia is driving Luke home. She says she's sorry that he has to give up his bull riding, and shockingly, he's like, well, I'm not, actually. And even after she says she gave up... Everything for him. She gave up New York for him. He's like, "Well, I didn't ask you to do that." And honestly, you didn't even talk to him first. Are you kidding me? That's weird. Yeah. And it's a lot to put on someone else to give up something like that for them. I mean, even if they said, "Like, okay, well, it'll work out if you do that," it's really not fair. You know, you have to make sure you will never be resentful of that because it's not fair to put that on someone else. Yeah. And he gets really defensive. And she's like, well, I can't be with someone who could die every time they go to work. And they break up. Sophia goes to see Ira, and he asks about how New York was. She says she never made it and broke up with Luke anyway, so it was all for nothing. So she wants to hear more about his life to take her mind off of it. We see the aftermath. Ruth tells Ira she can't do this anymore. She's going crazy. And she knows it's not his fault, but she packs her bag and leaves anyway. But before she does, he tells her, he fell in love with her the first time he saw her, but he loves her so much more now. Which, okay, it would be horrible if you were like, and I love you exactly the same amount. Yeah. it either I love means, you less. Right, it either means you're a crazy person or you barely love her at all. Yeah. And he thinks that she should leave because he just wants her to be happy, even if it's without him. Because love requires sacrifice. The wisdom of Alan Alda. Yeah. Ruth came back because she couldn't live without him, and they actually did live really happily together. He still wrote her a letter every day. So this is it. I think he wrote all those letters when she was gone. Well, maybe. My theory is, I feel like this wasn't made absolutely clear in the movie, but my theory is that while she was gone, he wrote all of these letters that he never sent her. But then why would he have written a return address on all of them? Okay, that... (laughs) (laughs) My theory was really good until you said that. Yeah. Maybe he was thinking about sending them. Maybe. (laughs) And he never was able to bring himself to do it. I don't know, man. It's (laughs) it's the kind of thing that a weirdo in a book does (laughs) to seem romantic, but in real life it would be insane and tiresome. But it's a Nicholas Sparks book. That is a weirdo in a book. I know, but I hate Nicholas Sparks. (laughs) He's the worst. (laughs) Anyway, they get old, and one morning... Alan Alda wakes up. Sorry, Ira. He's just Alan Alda. Let's get I know. Once he's once he's old, it's hard to call him Ira. I know. He wakes up one morning and Ruth has died. I was just thinking while, while I was watching this scene how awkward it would be for the actors to film. Right. And apparently playing dead on screen is terrible. Yeah. But I was just thinking of this woman who's already very near death in real life. And she's like, okay, you... You're dead when he wakes up. And Alan Alda, who very well could wake up to, like, if, right. he's a, if his wife is age-appropriate, very well could wake up to his wife being dead one morning. He's, like, having a, like, he's, like, lying on top of her crying. And I'm just like, yeah. this just seems like a very uncomfortable scene to film. Right. From so many reasons. And I was just thinking about how she would have had to have died pretty recently in order to not be, like, the Blue. wrong temperature. <laughs> he said that the paintings just reminded him of Ruth. After she died. Because they so have paintings, like, all over the floor. Everywhere, every single space. So he packed them up, which is weird. Wouldn't you want to be reminded of her? I think that's really weird. I think it would be a bigger reminder that she was dead, that your walls were suddenly bare for the first time in 30 years. Yeah. No, I think you'd probably want to keep them up. Yeah, and you'd be like, oh, well, she loved love this. Like, at least, you know, this is still here, blah, blah, blah. Because either way, it's going to remind you of her. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, one day... Daniel's wife comes to the door. That kid, remember from before? I do, yeah. I thought he was never going to show up again. (laughs) You fool. (laughs) He died six years ago, his wife says, but he was a professor of physics and astronomy. And when she saw Ruth's obituary, she knew she had to bring this to Ira. It's a portrait of Ruth that Daniel did. And the photo of them was on the back. The one that Luke found on the floor of his truck. And on the back, he wrote, Ruth Levinson, third grade teacher, told me I could be whatever I wanted when I grew up. And I think this just goes to show, if you just believe in a child, no matter how difficult the circumstances, they will go well beyond any expectation people have for them. Exactly. That's all you need. Yeah. Just believe. Luke comes home late to his mom sitting on the porch, and she basically says he's a real dummy and made a big mistake. Well, writing is just eight seconds. Sophia could be the rest of his life. Sophia gets a call from Ira's lawyer, who tells her that Ira died last night. Ira's private art collection is being auctioned off in a private auction, invitation only, and he wants her to be there. What if this was some kind of ploy to get them together, and they were the only two people invited to the auction? That's not what (laughs) happened. It's not what happened, but as soon as she got the thing, I was like, oh, the art's (laughs) all going to go to her somehow. And then Luke also gets an invitation to the auction. Ira, you schemer. Luke walks into a bull riding event after getting that invitation and is introduced and also I guess maybe I could have known this if I had paid more attention but I was like I don't know is this the same day or these on the same <laughs> night I have no idea turns out they were I know they didn't make it clear other than when you saw it happen yeah anyway Luke walks into a bull riding event and is introduced as one of the top 10 riders in the world and it's the championship event. And he pulls, I guess, the same bull that hurt him before, I think. Yeah, I think so. So he's having flashes of his first injury, but he nods for the chute to be opened. And again, it was a really good slow motion bull ride. This was my favorite bull riding sequence. It was great. And he does the eight seconds. And he might be the first person who's ever ridden this bull successfully. I'm I think not sure. so. And even lands on his feet and everything. Mm-hmm. And he looks at the crowd who's cheering for him. But he realizes the one person he cares about isn't there. His victory is hollow because of what he gave up to be there. I actually don't like this at all. I don't think this is romantic as as Nicholas Sparks thinks it is. No, it isn't. Guess what? Nothing is, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, because he's making it seem like, you know, Nicholas Sparks making it seem like this guy's giving up so much for Sophia, but he's not really. He's proven to himself and the world that he can actually be the best bull riding champion of all time. He's not giving up the opportunity to try and redeem himself. Mm -hmm. He already has redeemed himself and now he's going to go get the girl. I mean, they try and make it seem like, oh, he's walking away from endorsement deals and stuff. But I'm like, we already know that he's basically at the end of his career. One more injury could kill him, presumably. Yeah. So he's not really giving up much to walk away when he's at the top of his game. What would have been a much greater sacrifice is if he hadn't done it. Yeah. In order to, eat, like, he chose his own physical well-being and Sophia's happiness because of that and sacrificed his own pride. Yeah, exactly. So I found this it's, very unsatisfactory. And this is the thing. Love didn't actually require much of a sacrifice from either one of them. And it's about to require even less. Exactly. So he walks right past the congratulators and the smooth-talking endorsements, sponsorship businessman, out that door, going to the auction. Sophia gets to the auction and can't believe the amount of great works that are there. I guess Ira never told her and she never asked, like, what kind of art he had. But it's really good stuff. Warhol's things. Yeah. (laughs) That's the only one I recognize. (laughs) Oh, oh, Pollock. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, Ira's lawyer says Ira's will was very specific about how this auction was supposed to go. And he reads a really touching letter from Ira about how he just liked the art for Ruth and how happy it made her. But it is really weird to me that the title of the film comes from a part of this letter. I thought this was so weird and dumb, and it comes from nothing to do with bull riding. Yes, it's he just calls he just says the longest ride Ruth and I shared together. This thing called life. It's First weird that all, he don't calls ever it use that the phrase. This thing called life. <laughs> it's, yeah, I know. It's done. <laughs> um, but it is weird that he calls it that. Oh it's so shoe. The longest ride. Yeah. Because he never at any other point during the story of Ruth and Ira makes a reference to rides of any length or kind. I mean, I guess he may have mentioned it in passing, like we went on rides and weekend trips. But dude, that was a normal thing to say. It wasn't like it makes it sound like he was a trucker or something. I mean, <laughs> I know it's just like rides were not a part of his life. They were a part of they're a part of the whole eight second bull riding thing. I know it's, it's what so- his mom said to him, not what Ira says in his letter. What were you thinking, Nicholas Sparks? This was the most upsetting thing to me in this whole movie. He was just seeing dollar signs, <laughs> and guess what? He got them. The first painting on the block is the portrait of Ruth by Daniel, and I realize at this point that it looks a lot like Kristen Ritter. It's not great. No, well, people are not into it either. They're like, "What? Oh, oh my!" <laughs> I know. Well, I never. Guy starts at one thousand, goes down to eight hundred, goes down to six hundred. Sophia's looking around like, "What? Why is no one bidding?" And I'm like, "If you like it that much, you bid." It's not going to be that hard for you. First of all, if you think that this is priceless, then I'm memento of their lives together then you buy it six hundred dollars is not that much and he's just gonna keep going down yeah take out a credit card for 400 bucks it's fine right but luke can see how much sophia wants it he bids on it and of course gets it because no no other takers he goes to sign for it and she goes and asks what he's doing here he's he's done bull riding he says he rode that bull and thought it would make him happy but he realized that she's all he really wants So now that I'm the champion bull rider of the world, I thought I'd come and say hi. Exactly. What a Daniel Day-Lewis he is. Walking away at the top. They are called back into the auction and told that Iris stipulate, oh my gosh, also as soon as I saw that this was the first painting, I knew exactly what his will (laughs) was. I was like, no, duh, whoever bids on this gets all of the art because they're the only ones who recognize what's really valuable. (laughs) Okay, I get it. It's somebody else's love story. That's what's really valuable. Exactly. Because guess what? No one else had sentimental attachment to this painting but you. No. So why would somebody else buy this? I think in his mind, he was like, the only person who would care enough to buy this painting is also going to be the person who cared about me the most. Because it's like from my life, blah, 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 and whatever. But but again, I'm like, you're the you. Inv- this is a private auction. You invited all of these people there. I know. Did you really, nobody cared about you and Ruth enough to buy this? I know. I find that hard to believe. None of your friends would have bought that. That seems, seems dumb. Especially because then you could, like, it's a good story for them. It's it's pretty performative of, like, oh, I bought this thing and And whatever. it's only $1,000. A lot of these paintings are worth millions. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, they're called back into the auction and told that Iris stipulated that whoever bought the portrait of Ruth got everything else. Auctions over. I would be angry. If I went all the way out there for that auction and then it was one painting and done, I would be so angry. Well, guess what? Everybody was angry. <laughs> yeah. They were super mad. And now Luke is super rich. He's a millionaire many times over. Yeah, so he actually kind of isn't. So he has the paintings, which are worth altogether like $200 million. He's he's painting rich, for sure. (laughs) Cash poor, but painting rich. (laughs) But they don't seem to have any... You know, I don't think he inherited any money with it. No, he didn't. He would have had to sell paintings. So, yeah... She sets up, we cut later to them setting up a museum, or she at a a very nice-looking museum for the art, which all fit into their house. I know. But this looks like a pretty nice, snazzy museum. Yeah. And I'm like, so you definitely had to sell some of the paintings, though. That's the thing. He would have had to sell. And and. Yeah, whatever. He would have had to sell some of them. Because also, a lot of museums like that require endowments to keep them open. They're not self-sustaining a lot, no, especially really small ones like that. No, nobody's going to drive out to the middle of nowhere just to see this stuff. But this is the happy solution we're given, even though it's completely... I mean, not like the rest of this movie was super realistic, but this was insane. No, no partly because I feel like unless they have ambitions to make take on more paintings... And make this an even bigger museum, it can't possibly be fulfilling to just sit there at a desk all day and run this museum. Yeah. And apparently they're really close to his ranch, so like... I know! No one's going to come out there to look at a handful of paintings. No. So he picks her up in his truck and asks, how how was the museum? She says it was good. How was the range? It was good. They drive to abandoned Black Mountain College to read the letters together. How romantic. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Sophia- I can always tell based on my gag reflex exactly. how romantic something is. Yeah. Sophia jumps up, runs toward the pond, takes her dress off, jumps in the pond, and I just worry about what's in the pond. Just, I didn't think it was that deep.
1: Well, she just jumps in
0: without knowing. I know, and I'm just worried about, like, amoebas and stuff. But Luke jumps in, too. Head first! Head first. Again, how He's deep diving. is it? diving. Oh, man, I hope, it's, I hope it's at least 12 feet, because he is diving in- And you know what? That's fine. They're so fun and young and hot. Of course they're doing this. (laughs) And now they'll never have conflicting values ever again. No. And the museum will never fail. And the ranch will always stay in the family. There can't possibly be an issue with two such ambitious people doing jobs that are now kind of just going to keep them in the same place. No. Okay. So that was the longest ride, which I think we We provided all the commentary necessary for such a gem. So, budget-wise, this movie was $34 million to make, which... Okay. Yeah. I mean, didn't require a lot. No. I guess the the period stuff is probably what required the most. Yeah. And then box office was $65 million, but I also think they probably did really specific advertising that may not have, um... That's... I'm sure they did. Because they know who their audience is. Oh, and yeah. I think when you make a Nicholas Sparks movie like this, you're just kind of looking for that kind of steady but small return. Absolutely. Yeah. Well that's why they keep getting made. It's just a surprising know. number of his books have been made oh, into my, movies. So many. But they're they're always a slam dunk with that crowd. Yeah. You know? Cause it's honestly the only romance movies that are being offered right now. Yeah. So. I mean they're the only mainstream ones. I mean, yeah. you know, you, otherwise you're going to have to go to Hallmark and Lifetime and stuff. Yeah. Next up, we're going to do Escape from New York. The Ooh. Kurt Russell classic. That's a good one. I've never I've, I haven't actually seen that one all the way through. I've seen Escape from LA, weirdly. Weirdly, I know. <laughs> so that's what's next on More is More. To contact us, write us at more is more podcast at gmail.com.